this morning, and you would open them to Mark chapter 7, or turn them on to there, and as you're looking for that, I have a card to read this morning. We would like to thank you for the gift that you sent to us, and that is from Dennis and Judy Shaw, Kevin and Sarah Clark, and Clayton and Carter at the passing of Dennis's sister. So you continue to pray for that family. Uh, as always, it is so good to be with you. This is always seems like one of the hardest Sundays of the year. Uh, and the reason is because most of you have eight and eight and eight. And most of you, a lot of you have been off work. And so you're thinking, I'm not even sure what day it is. I have no pants that still fit at this point. And so you come to church kind of food logged. Uh, your schedule is out of whack, and it's always just a Sunday that just seems kind of like, ah, especially the 8 o'clock service. And so uh, today, though, I want to talk to you about something that is very, very important, and that is having a faith built on a solid foundation. How many of you have heard this statement about a married couple? You can either be happy or you can be Right. Right? We've made that joke. You can either be happy in marriage or you can be right. And I have even said that and I have definitely thought that. And that's kind of a fun saying to kind of give you the idea that just keep your mouth shut and don't say anything. But how many of us like to be wrong? Right? How many of us enjoy not only being wrong, but publicly shown to be wrong? Well, none of us. All of us want to be right. Or if we don't care, it doesn't matter if we're right. But when it comes to our faith, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about where you're going to spend eternity, how you're going to weather the storms of life, how you're going to deal with things when the circumstances around you fall apart, you need to know that being right matters. It matters because it will depend whether you run to God or run from God. It will determine whether or not when your life falls apart, whether you trust God more or you abandon the faith that you claim to have. And so today what we see in Mark chapter 7 is Jesus talking to religious people who thought they were right. You see, there's a difference from being right and thinking we are right. I have struggled to ever admit that I am wrong in my life. Now, you probably don't have that problem. But it's a big deal when I have to admit that I'm wrong. And it's sometimes it's di difference of who I have to admit I'm wrong to. I don't have near a problem dealing with when I'm dealing with God to admit to Him that I'm wrong, that I do my wife. And it's much harder for me to admit to my children that I'm wrong than it is to my wife that I'm wrong. Especially some of you probably are thinking about some people you work with. It didn't matter what I did, I would never admit to them people that I was wrong. I will take that to my grave. But when it comes to what you believe about Jesus and the faith that you have, friends, there are billions of people on this planet 
who genuinely think they are right, but they are wrong. And when we're looking at faith, a relationship with Jesus, friends, there's only two options. You are either right or you are wrong. You are either a child of God or you belong to Satan. Your name is either written in the Lamb's book of life or it is not. And so when Jesus deals with these religious people, it is a big deal because he is trying to point out to them that you might dress the part, you might act the part, you might have everyone else convinced that you're right, but God knows the heart. And so in Mark chapter 12, I want to just read this to you because I want you to hear Jesus answering this question in a few chapters. In Mark chapter 12, a religious leader asks this question. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so Jesus tells them, no matter what you believe or what you do or what you think, these two, these are what matters first and foremost. And I wanted to read that to you this morning <coughs> because as we go through our text for today, I want you to be thinking about that. What was most important to these individuals? Who did they love the most? And then for me as an individual, as I'm looking through this sermon today, who do I love most? Who am I focused on? <coughs> Excuse me. Put me on some new medicine. It's got me all dried out. And so if you would pray with me just for a moment. <coughs> Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you do for us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would, one, be with the sermon. Lord, that you would lead, guide, and direct. Father, I pray that you'd be with my throat and my voice, Lord. Lord, I pray today that your spirit would be at work. Lord, I know there are hurting people, struggling people, Lord, and those who need a touch from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that all for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I have gotten to the age where they put me on a water pill, but I didn't think that the water pill would drive me out all the way to my head. And so, but if you'll bear with me this morning, we will try to get through this today. First thing I want to show you if you're taking notes this morning is this. Self-righteousness starts in the heart. <clears throat> Self-righteousness starts in the heart. The number one reason that we are not willing to admit that we are wrong or that we think that we are right when we are not, is self-righteousness. 
So look at chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and kushers. What we see in this passage of Scripture is, we looked at it a little bit last week, That Jesus was healing everyone who touched him. Not some of, not a little bit of, but if you got to Jesus, you were healed. You were made well. God changed your life. And the religious leaders of the day didn't like that. One, because Jesus had told them, hey, you're not right with God. You might think you are, you might claim to be, but deep down, you're not. And so they didn't like Jesus, one, because he called out their sin. But two, they didn't like him because he was more popular than them. Everyone was going to listen to him. Everyone was going to see him. And so their level of importance was beginning to drop in the world standards. And so they show up and they show out that they hate him. That they don't care about him. And so instead of being worried about the miracles... Instead of honoring who Jesus was, they were upset because the disciples ate with unclean hands. That means they weren't doing all of these extra things that the religious leaders thought they should. And this morning I ask you that. Do you love the things of God or do you love God? Do you love being willing to quote the Bible or do you love the author of the Bible? Do you love who God is or do you love using the things of God to hurt others? That's what we see from this passage of Scripture. It's not wrong to discuss what you believe with someone. It's not even wrong to point out sin in someone's life. The problem is, what is the motive behind why you do what you do? (coughs) As a husband... It is my job, according to the Word of God, to lead my family, to be the spiritual leader of my home. But why do I say what I say? Why do I discipline my children? Why do I, from time to time, try to correct my wife? Not because I think I'm the only one that has the answer, but because why? When we honor God, God blesses obedience. Now, do I do that to be cruel to my children? Do I do that to be cruel to my wife? If you've ever left your house, you have dealt with people. And some people, it is easy to listen to what they say. You know they love you. You know they care about you. You know they have your best interest at heart. And so when they say something to you, it matters. But there are other people that you've probably come into contact with And it doesn't matter what they tell you, you're not listening to them. Right? Because you know how they are, you know how they act, you know what they can be doing. And so in your mind, their opinion doesn't 
matter. But friends, this morning I want to ask you something. When God deals with you through the preaching of His Word, when God deals with you through the reading of His Word, what is your response this morning? Are you one who reads the Word of God, listens to the Word of God being preached, and says, yes, I know that's what God's Word says, but... Or I know that's what God wants for us as a family, but... You see, self-righteousness starts when I think I know more than God or that I really don't need Him as much as the Bible says I do. You see, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners, that there is nothing good in us, that we desperately need Him. And if you're here today and you've been saved, you've been born again, you've been brought into the family of God, it is not because of you. It is because the Holy Spirit began to deal with you, begin to convict you, begin to shine light into your life that you needed a relationship with Him. And so today you are a child of God. The promises of God apply to you. The blessings of God apply to you. But never forget what God delivered you from or where you would be without Him. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders thought, we can get to God on our own. We can do enough to keep the law, to obey, to please God, that He has to accept us. This statement was made by a preacher, and I don't know which preacher it was, but it is one that has really dealt with my heart. You can worship a false god and be wrong. Or you can worship the one true God the wrong way and be wrong. How many times have you heard that? It doesn't matter how you come to God. It doesn't matter how you worship God. You do you. You do what you enjoy. You do what you think's best. You know the Bible never teaches that, right? The Bible teaches there's only one way to come to God. That's through Jesus. There's only one way that God wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And so there's different expressions of that, absolutely. right? I, I would much rather be in a happy service than a dead service. I'd much rather be in a happy service where people are singing and shouting and smiling. Sometimes we don't have those here. But I would much rather be in that than a cold, dead, rigid service. But hey, to each their own. You worship how God leads you to in that nature, and you know, so be it. But yet we have to always remember that God is willing for you to come. God wants a relationship with you. But you have to come His way. You say, well, Jake, what does that mean for my life? God wants to walk with you. God wants to deal with you. God wants to work through you in your life. But He expects us to do it His way. God blesses His Word. God blesses the way He wants things to be done. Proverbs, the 21st chapter, says it like this. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when He brings it with wicked intent? If you're here today and you're coming to worship God, but you're not worshiping Him because you love Him, God says it's an abomination. God says for us to sit on these seats, sing songs to Him, 
to clap to Him, to, to praise Him, but yet not really love Him, God says, I don't want no part of that. And so people say, well, as long as they go to church, that's all that matters. As long as they're in church is all that matters. That's true from a standpoint of they're hearing the Word of God. But friends, never think, never think that because you came, because you were dragged, that God is pleased that you're here. God wants you to come because you love Him. God wants you to come because you want to worship Him. And can you be dealt with even though you're here with the wrong intent? Absolutely. But for us as Christians, we must always get along with God and say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, help me to come because I want to. Lord, help me to worship you because I'm thankful. Lord, help me to be a person of joy and praise because of who you are. Second thing I want to show you from this text this morning is that selfishness starts in the heart, but it reveals itself out of the mouth. Self-righteousness is a heart issue, but friends, that heart issue eventually comes out. Look what it says in verse 5. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not wash, walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, this is amazing. Because Jesus is the one that is asked the question, because why? They're blaming Him. They're blaming Him for not teaching what they want Him to teach. Not doing what they want Him to do. Not being the person they think He should be. And so they ask Him, why are you leading these people astray? This morning I ask you this simple question, because why? Because for us, if we're honest if we're really honest with what the Spirit of God is doing in us, God is getting their attention, but they're focusing on the wrong thing. And this morning, that is still the same thing. The reason that we come to church, that we gather together, is to worship Jesus. It's to learn more about Him. It's to understand what He wants for our lives through the preaching of His Word, through the singing. It's for the encouragement and love that comes with relationships. But how many times do we come to church knowing we should be focused on Jesus, but yet we focus on something else? How many times do we know that there's a lost person that we work with, and lost people do lost things? You should expect your lost coworker to be a liar and a cheater and lazy and all of these things but yet we forget that they're lost and get angry at who they are. But yet Jesus said, can the blind lean the blind? No. And so when we look at a lost person, we ought to be reminded that we should be praying for them to know the Lord. Praying for them to be open to hearing the gospel and looking for ways to share the truth. But yet we get so angry at what they do that that becomes the focus. The same thing about worship. We're to come to worship Jesus in spirit and truth, but yet I can be guilty of, well, I didn't like that song. Or, boy, 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 I didn't like that sermon. Boy, it was too hot in the men's restroom today. Boy, Sunday school was a little bit boring. So-and-so didn't shake my hand. 
And so instead of focusing on what we should have, our focus turned to something else. And that's why the Bible says to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Because when our heart is not focused on the right things, it overflows out of the mouth. How many of you have ever said something you wish you could take back? You know that never happens usually when I'm happy. When, I, when I'm being blessed and I'm joyful and everything's going the way it should, I can look back in my life and think maybe one time when I, I said something I shouldn't have. And the only time that was is I was so excited in my blessing that I forgot someone next to me was hurting. But you know when I get in the most trouble? When I'm unhappy. When I'm disgruntled. When things aren't going my way when I'm jealous, when I'm envious, when I'm all of these things the Bible said I'm not supposed to be, it's in that moment that I seem to have vomit of the mouth. And that's what happens here. Their hearts were not right with God, and eventually it overflowed. This morning I want to ask you, has your heart been overflowing? What comes out of your mouth at work? What comes out of your mouth at school? What comes out of your mouth at church? Is it joy? Is it praise? Is it thanksgiving? Or is it misery, unforgiveness, bitterness, criticalism? I ask you that this morning because only you know. I mean, everyone else knows, all right? They know what you're like when they see you coming. You know people like that. You see them coming, you think, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. And you know other people that when you see them coming, you think, hey, I hope they stop and talk to me. Why? Because the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 43, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I ask you this morning, do you really have a love for Jesus? When you are given the opportunity, are you a person who points people to Jesus? Yes, my life is a mess right now, but God's been good to me. Yes, I know things aren't going the way that they should be or I think they should be, but man, God's been with me every step of the way. Man, that co-worker, they are just absolutely driving me insane. But man, I'm glad the Lord loves me even when I probably drive Him insane. You see, that's the question I ask you this morning because what's in your heart eventually comes out. Whether it's joy, whether it's forgiveness, all of these things. And so the Pharisees, it came out. Third and final thing this morning as we look at this text. Self-righteousness is something that starts in the heart. It's something that reveals itself with the mouth. But self-righteousness is something that everyone 
can struggle with. Every one of us struggles with self-righteousness. Look what it says in verse 6 to the end of this section. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? Now I want to stop right there. Because we live in a day and age where you're not allowed to tell anybody they're wrong. Right? If two people are having sex outside of marriage, you can't tell them that's sin, even though the Bible says it's absolutely sin. People are stealing money from their company. You can't tell them that it's wrong to steal. You, you can't do that. But yet Jesus viewed things completely different than us. And we should be like him, not the world. Jesus looked right at him and said, hypocrites. Hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now I want to stop just right there for a moment because Jesus says, outwardly you are looking righteous, but your heart is not close to me. Don't miss this. The judgment of God, the correction of God, always starts with His people. If you are going to claim to be a child of God, if you are going to claim to have a relationship with Him, God will deal with you first. Me first. Why? Because whom the Lord loves, He chastens. He disciplines. And so this morning, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you are going to call yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should expect and be always ready for God to be lovingly correcting you. But if you're not a child of God, but yet you claim to be a child of God, Jesus says He's going to point that out as well. You say, well, how does God point out whether or not I'm really His? What are you listening to this morning? The preaching of God's Word. As you sit to read God's Word, the Word of God is like a sharp sword piercing us the witness of other people testifying to who God is. God is not silent. God does not hide. God is the one who reveals light into the world. And so this morning I encourage you, don't hide from God. Don't be like Adam and Eve after they fell in the garden and hid themselves from God when they heard Him coming. Be willing to allow the Spirit of God to deal with your heart. The Word of God to shine light into your life. The greatest gift that you could give your family moving into this new year is to be a person who listens to the Lord. A person who walks according to His counsel. The Bible tells us, for young people, especially you, if you want to avoid the wickedness of this world and you want to live pure and godly lives, The Bible says it's by memorizing His Word. By knowing the things of God lets you know who God is. Then it allows you to follow Him. You say, well, good thing I'm not a young person. I'm old. Well, the Bible says you ought to already be wise according to the Word of God. It is a lamp. It is a guide into your path. And so what we see here is that He points it out to them. 
And I am thankful this morning that God still points it out to me, that the Spirit of God still deals with us as individuals, as families, as a church. But it goes on and says in verse 8, What made them self-righteous? For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. Now Jesus doesn't say that it's sinful to have a tradition. You say, well, we read the Christmas story, or we have a Christmas dinner every year. It's our tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. What Jesus says is they had taken the Word of God and moved it to the side and said tradition matters more than God's Word. Friends, in your life, there's nothing wrong with getting counsel from godly people. The Bible says that wise counsel will bring you great joy in life. But never think that the counsel of men is greater than the counsel of God. Never think that the opinions of man or the strategies of man or new way of doing things according to the latest science or psychology ever elevates itself above the Word of God. What Jesus says is the Word of God is supreme. The Word of God is the foundation of everything that we do. Do I know that my sermons sometimes deal with really awkward topics? Yes. Do I know that sometimes my sermons are not what you would like to hear? Yes. But do you know what I believe? I believe when the Word of God is taught, when the Word of God is preached, even though we might not like it, we might not always want it, but it is always effective. That God honors the preaching of His Word. And so that's why every week we get up and say, verse by verse, word by word, line by line. Why? Because Jesus tells them, if you want to know the answer to your problems, if you want to know the cure to self-righteousness, if you want to know the cure to the problems of your life, if you want to know the encouragement in your times of hopelessness, it is the Word of God. And what most churches need to remember is, man, you can turn up the music, you can smoke machine the lobby, you can hang people from the balcony, but if the Word of God is not the focus, nothing matters. Nothing lasts. Nothing is built. And so today I want to encourage you, if you've not done it this year, as the new year begins, get in the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. Pray the Word of God. Because the Word of God is powerful. What Jesus says is, the Word is what matters. He goes on and says in verse 9, Excuse me. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God. Now that doesn't sound right, does it? All too well you do something bad. But what he's saying is you're good at taking God's word and moving it aside. You've got a skill for taking the word of God and ignoring it. And friends, if I was to describe our nation today, I would say it is good at disobeying God. It is good at taking whatever God's Word says and running as far from it as we can. 
But don't let that be said about you. Don't let God say to you, you are good at getting around the things of God. If you've ever seen a kid, you've probably seen a kid or a coworker work harder at getting out of work than just doing what they were supposed to. Right? You did more effort to keep from doing what I asked you to do than what it would have took just to do what you were told. And that's what Jesus tells them. You are doing more work. You are doing the wrong thing extremely well. But you're not doing what I ask you to do. And so it goes on and says, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profits you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Now what was going on was the Bible tells us that we're to honor our father and mothers. And we look at our kids right now and say, see, shut up and do what you're told. But that's actually not what he was talking about. He was talking about adults who when they're Adult, aged parents could no longer take care of themselves. The Bible says it's my job as a, as a child to honor my aged parents by making sure they're taken care of, making sure they have what they need. That's my responsibility, not the government's. The Bible even says if you don't take care of your loved ones or your aged family members, you're worse than an infidel. What Jesus was saying is they had got to a point where said, no, you know, as long as I give my life to God, I don't have to take care of my parents. As long as I will give this amount of money to God, my parents are not my responsibility. Jesus says you can give all the gifts you want to God. You can make all the oaths you want to God. You can go through all the religious exercises you want. But if you're not willing to just obey God, the rest of it's useless. The rest of it's useless. Now this morning I want to close with this idea. Because for most of us we think, well as long as I'm doing something for God, it's the most important. As long as I'm serving God in some way, it's the most important. But yet when the Bible talks about a pastor, do you know what it never talks about his skill? About him being a good speaker or creative, or intelligent. The Bible's qualifications for a pastor is, one, he ought to have a right relationship with God. And two, he has to make sure that his family's relationship with God is right. Because it goes on and says, if you cannot lead your own home, how can you leave the house of God? Why? Because the Bible says God wants obedience, not sacrifice. God wants me to be a man of God in my private life, in my family's life, and then my public life. And so if God's word has said something to you, friends, God doesn't want you to neglect his word to do something that looks good. God doesn't want you to neglect your aged parents just so you can come and give a lot of money to the church. Jesus is teaching them, friends, religious exercise 
outward religion is not a real reflection of the heart. A real reflection of a relationship with God is what does His Word say and am I willing to do it? Am I willing to put my money where my mouth is? Am I willing to do the things that God has called me to do even if no one else ever sees it? If, am I willing to honor God in my life even though no one else recognizes it? You see, the religious leaders wanted to be in the worship service because everyone watched them. But they could care less about their aged parents because no one saw that. That's why I believe so firmly in nursing home and assisted living ministry because so many times people have nobody when they're put in a place like that. I don't think it's wrong to put a loved one there. Please don't think that. But if you put a loved one there, you better go check on them. You better make sure they're being cared for. Because I always try to go visit there because there are some people who have no visitors. But yet the Bible says real religion is to take care of the widow and the orphans. And so today my challenge to you as we leave here today is in your relationship with God. It's not about all the Christian music in your car. It's not about all the, the catchy Christian videos you listen to. The question is, are you willing to do what God says? Do you really love Him enough to say, Lord, I want you to lead my life every day in the good times, in the bad, in the public times, in the private times. Lord, in the valleys and in the mountains. Lord, I love you, and I want you to lead and guide my life. That's what Jesus was saying. Do you really love me or not? And the question he is giving to us is, do we really love him or not? Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me for any confusion or stuttering or, Lord, anything in my heart that's not what it should be. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would forgive me, Lord, for my throat, for my, my coughing, Lord, that you would work in spite of me today. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit is dealing with the hearts of each and every person in this place. Lord, only you can change a heart. Only you can deal with a situation. Only you can save the lost. And so, Father, I thank you that you loved us enough to die on the cross for us, to be buried for us, Lord, and to rise again. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be that day. And, Lord, whatever needs to take place, that you would do it. And, Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.